We won with highly educated. We won with poorly educated. I love the poorly educated. Yes. Yes, you do, Mr. Trump. Yes, you do. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is The Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A., up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM KSO in Cottage Grove, out in Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI in Lancaster, out in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. Up in Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And of course, coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, Detour Talk in East Tennessee, and... Radio Sputnik, five days a week. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, if not you, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us for another thrilling, action-packed adventure that we call The Bradcast. Coming up on The Bradcast, the Kansas statistician Beth Clarkson who believes that she has found evidence of fraud or some kind of manipulation of election results in the state of Kansas from 2014. She is suing to get access to uh, to voting system paper trails in hopes of further investigating her statistical analysis, which uh, she believes shows the, some form of manipulation of those results on the uh, on the state's electronic voting systems. 100% unverifiable voting systems, I should add. Uh, <clears throat> but she is being blocked, and blocked big time, by the state and by uh, Kansas Secretary of State and renowned GOP voter fraud fraudster Chris Kobach. Uh, we had Beth Clarkson on the show last year, last summer, I think it was, to discuss her concerns about what happened in Kansas in 2014. And well, she was back in court uh, again last week with her new attorney who's uh, joined the case, a former U.S. attorney. Uh, and uh, a huge number of supporters turned out. In any event, Beth Clarkson will be here in, uh, in a little bit to discuss the judge's latest ruling. And I'll add it's a troubling one, frankly. Uh, the judge's latest ruling in this absolutely fascinating case. In the meanwhile, on Tuesday night... Big news out of Nevada. I was going to say out of the Silver State, Desi Doyen. Do we know what is? Is that the Silver State, Nevada? Yes, it is. Or is that Colorado? No, it's the Silver State. What's Colorado? I have no idea. Uh, that, of course, is Desi Doyen, our producer. Uh, the uh, the results are in from the Nevada caucuses, the Nevada GOP caucuses on Tuesday night. And they show that Donald Trump won big, won huge, won enormously with 46% of the vote, followed by Marco Rubio in second place, way, way down with 24% of the vote. 
So that's uh, a 22-point victory for Donald Trump. Rubio was at 24. Cruz was at 21%. Uh, there were long lines. There was record turnout. There was as much or more chaos, really, than, uh, than that scene at last Saturday's Democratic caucus in Nevada, at least at the beginning of the night. The, the state GOP has claimed or at least they did last night as complaints were being heard in the social media that there had been no official reports, no official reports of voting irregularities or violations. That was their uh, that was a quote from the GOP as they were responding. Uh, they were talking, of course, about official reports by any of the uh, actual campaigns, candidate campaigns. Meanwhile, in on social media, people were sharing uh, anecdotal scenes. Let's call it anecdotal scenes of chaos at various caucus sites that seemed to contradict what the GOP was saying. But uh, as the evening wore on, it seems like things uh, calmed down a bit after they dealt with the huge turnout in that election uh, and and everyone calmed down and uh, everyone who wanted to vote was in theory able to get into the caucus to cast a hand marked paper ballot. At each of the states, hundreds of caucuses, uh, caucus sites around the state. Uh, now, a caveat that I always give, sometimes problems in these elections don't come to light until much later. We might find that there were more problems on uh, on caucus night than we now think. Many, of course, have complained about uh, the caucuses and the way that they are run by the parties themselves, not by the, the states, but not by election officials, but by the, the parties themselves in both Iowa and then in Nevada. And now the people are seeing inside the caucuses as there are more and more cell phone uh, videos available and so forth. People are concerned about what they are seeing. And, uh, you know, it does not look like a regular election. It does not look like a regular uh, general election or a primary uh, where there is, you know, no no support for your candidate. You can't wear T-shirts. You can't wear hats. You can't uh, do electioneering inside the polling place. But that's the, not the case with caucuses. They're they're different. Now, I agree, as I've mentioned, that it's an inherently democratic process, these caucuses, because only those who are free for the limited caucus hours are allowed to participate in the thing. Uh, if you can't get off work, there's no absentee balloting in these caucuses. So if you, you know, if you can't be there at the time of the caucuses, that's it. You're screwed. Uh, and if you can't get to the caucus site, so if you don't drive, if you know not easily mobile, it, it can be hard. So they are inherently undemocratic, as I've acknowledged previously. But the GOP majority, the Republican majority in the state of Nevada, they killed a bill last year that would have changed the Nevada caucuses into a primary system instead of a caucus system. But the Republicans wanted it this way. So whatever problems they had last night, whatever chaos went on, whatever you might have seen out there on the interwebs, uh, this is how the Republicans wanted it. Uh, and listen, they've had trouble in the past. Back in uh, 2008, it took them like three days. Uh, uh, actually, I think it was 2012. It took them like three days to get their results out. Uh, before the GOP could announce the results because uh, there was protests from uh, Ron Paul delegates about the accuracy of the count from his campaign. But these things only started in the state of Nevada back in 2008. So they're just getting used to it. They're just uh, this is their third time out. 
But I want to remind you what the alternative would be in a state like Nevada if they went to a primary system. Because in Nevada, in regular elections, the way presumably they would run a primary as well, most of Nevada voters are forced to vote on 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting uh, systems. And specifically in Nevada, they are unverifiable touchscreen voting systems that were illegally certified in violation of both federal and state law back in 2004. They were used for the first time in the 2004 election without any certification from the Elections Assistance Commission at the time. Uh, this was a, in violation of both the Federal Help America Vote Act and in violation of state law concerning certification and the use of the machines. Uh, they were certified illegally by the uh, Secretary of State at the time, GOP, Republican Secretary of State, Dean Heller, who is now Senator Dean Heller from Nevada. I exclusively documented all of this in detail and the illegal certification of Nevada's uh, voting systems in 2004. I uh, wrote about it with Michael Richardson in a chapter for Mark, uh, Mark Crispin Miller's book on election integrity called Loser Take All. The chapter, what's the name of the chapter here? Uh, the Selling of the Touchscreen Paper Trail from Nevada to the EAC, the Elections Assistance Commission. We, we detail, he, he basically, he came out, he announced that these voting machines were certified, declaring that uh, they had passed testing in the federal testing labs by, quote, flying colors, he said at the time. As it turns out, it was a complete lie. Even as he was announcing that these systems had passed with flying colors, they were still in the test lab. We got the documents. We did public records requests. We were able to get at the documents that showed that the Sequoia Edge touchscreen voting machines that they were uh, that he certified back in 2004 and that they are still using today and that they will still use this November across most of the state of uh, Nevada, to my knowledge, that are 100 un, uh, percent unverifiable, that are used in uh, in the general election in this important swing state of Nevada. Those were failing. They weren't working in the test labs at all at the time that Dean Heller came out and said as Secretary of State that, yes, they're certified. So anyway, he was lying. You can go look it up in the book. We got all the documentation in there. He completely lied and they're still using them. And to reward his lies, he's now a senator, U.S. senator which uh, an election which he won on. Guess what? Those Sequoia Edge touchscreen voting machines. Go figure. He's never been held accountable for blatantly breaking the law, by the way, and, uh, and, and they're still using those systems. So anyway, do I prefer that those type of systems be used for a primary instead of something that is way, way more transparent, like uh, hand-counted paper ballots, hand-marked, hand-counted paper ballots, as, they, as we saw used in, uh, in Nevada on, uh, on Tuesday night? No, I'll take the hand-counted paper ballots, in truth, if those are the options. And it was great. It was great to see it. Uh, it. We could see the counting. We could see people counting ballots and marking them down uh, right in front of everybody, publicly, at the precinct, at the caucus sites. Even Brian Williams on MSNBC uh, noticed how great this was. By the way, three cheers for unambiguous ballots. Yeah. There's no punch machines. There's just a box 
and a check mark. And please note there hasn't been any uh, confusion or indecision uh, about what all of these votes meant. So that's what happened on Tuesday night, at least as far as uh, how the ballots were counted. Everyone could see them. If there is any questions about the results, we can all see them. We can go back. We can look at the, the, the photographs, uh, you know, of how they were counted. They were tallied at the precinct before they were all sent to election headquarters when anything can happen to the results. But do you know how, and this was, as I say, run by the GOP, do you know how many Republicans over the years have told me that paper ballots are less reliable than computer counts? Not just Republicans, but Democrats alike. They believed that for a while. Some of them still do. I actually had a Republican election official at a meeting of the uh, uh, Board of Elections in Nashville, uh, Davidson County, as I recall, Tennessee. Shout out to our Tennessee affiliates, GDPR uh, in Nashville. Uh, the, the Republican uh, election official at this meeting actually told me, and this is a direct quote as well as I can remember it, that he said, Brad, paper ballots are the greatest hoax ever perpetrated on the American people. Now, Desi Doyne, I thought that was climate change. That oh, was well, the that's only if hoax. you're talking to yeah, James. So <laughs> you got to get your stories straight, Republicans. But in this case, paper ballots. In any event, yeah, it's a great hoax unless the Republican Party gets to choose their own rules, gets to choose the way they do it, gets to make it up and do it however they like it in their own caucuses. And guess what? They choose paper ballots. They choose hand-counted paper ballots. In Iowa, they don't even uh, they choose to not require a photo ID. So all of that fraud and, and other stuff they pretend to be concerned about. Yeah, they're, they're just pretending. Anyway, um, more on that and the idea of paper ballots, paper trails, electronic voting. More on that momentarily from my guest Beth Clarks in, uh, uh, from Kansas where she's suing. She has to sue to get access to the so-called paper trails from the, the touchscreen machines that they use in Kansas in order to figure out what really happened back in the state in 2014 when, for example, in that election, Governor Sam Brownback was set to lose his re-election, according to the pre-election polls, by some three to five points. But then he went on to win by nine points, a 15-point swing in the state of Kansas for this wildly unpopular Republican governor on those unverifiable voting systems in Kansas in 2014. And those are the exact same systems, the ESNS iVotronics, that they will be using this Saturday in the Democratic caucus, in the Democratic primary in South Carolina. All right. Anyway, more on that in a moment. Back to Trump. Back to Trump and the horse race itself. Uh, as I said, uh, the final results showed Donald Trump with 46 percent compared to Marco Rubio at 24 and Ted Cruz at 21. That's uh, rounded off. I have the. Full numbers here somewhere, but uh, but it doesn't matter. You get the idea. If you add up Don, uh, Rubio's results and Ted Cruz's results, Donald Trump still beats them. That's how popular Donald Trump was in the caucuses in Nevada. John Ralston, the Nevada reporter, also noted that Trump received more votes by himself than the entire, the total GOP turnout for the caucuses back in 2012. He says there's something happening here, and what it is is starting to become clear. 
But is it? Is it really starting to become clear? Here was Donald Trump during his victory speech last night. So we won the evangelicals. We won with young. We won with old. We won with highly educated. We won with poorly educated. I love the poorly educated. Yes, he does. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people. And you know what I really am happy about? Because I've been saying it for a long time. 46% with the Hispanics. 46%. Number one with Hispanics. I'm really happy about that. So... Thank you. Gary. Yeah, he's he's number one with the Hispanics. And uh, and it, actually, he was now number one with the Hispanics in a Republican caucus in Nevada is not a whole lot of Hispanics, but it's a lot more than anyone else who ran. Including Marco Rubio and Ted Cruz, both of whom come have uh, what, uh, Hispanic backgrounds latino what uh, parents born in, in uh, cuba for both of them right that would make them of a, of a cuban background but people tend to think that they're going to be considered uh that's not considered latino, hispanic, hispanic. Uh, they are certainly more hispanic and or latino than donald trump and yet he did at least according to uh, the entrance polls win among the hispanic uh, voters in fact donald trump won in every single demographic he won men. He's right. He, he went through a bunch of them. He won among men. He won among women. He won among older voters, younger voters, high school or less education, college grads, post grads. He won whites. He won non-whites. He won among the very conservative. Remember the very conservative were supposed to go for Ted Cruz? Nope. The very conservative are now going for Donald Trump, at least in the state of Nevada. He won 38 percent. Ted Cruz uh, was at 33 percent according to the entrance polls, and take them with a grain of salt. But uh, a number of different entrance polls found the same thing in each of them. So he won among very conservative. He won among somewhat conservative. He won uh, 50% of the people who identified themselves as just somewhat conservative. But he also won, not just among the very conservative and the somewhat conservative, he also won among the moderates. The moderates! In the Republican Party, the moderates were, were supposed to be, you know, coalescing around one of the moderate so-called less crazy, less right wing candidates. Somebody like Marco Rubio, who's very right wing, or John Kasich from Ohio, who's very right wing. But they uh, suffice for what is considered moderate now in the Republican Party. And yet the Republicans went for uh, for Donald Trump. 55% went for Trump. The next closest was uh, Marco Rubio with 29%. The evangelicals went for Donald Trump. And Donald Trump is no evangelical. He likes to pretend he's a man of God, but he will do whatever he needs to do to get elected. And frankly, that's smart. He's very, very smart in that regard. So he won the white evangelical vote. by f He won 41%. To Ted Cruz's 27 percent for the evangelical. And as I said, he also won the Latino vote. He's winning everywhere. And this is somebody who uh, just a few months ago held just a few days ago. They were still considered people. The, 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 the pundit class was considering him a joke. 
He's not a joke. He's never been a joke. We told you from day one that uh, he was for real and that he was very serious. And though he just mumbles stuff he heard the night before on Fox News, he is speaking to the Republican id. He is... He is the Republican candidate. I don't see anything at this point that is going to stop him from winning the nomination. But as I've said many times also on this show, and I think I need to repeat it. Democrats need to be careful because Donald Trump knows how to win elections. Donald Trump is willing to say absolutely anything to win people's votes. And he has proven himself not, you know, able to win every single demographic amongst the Republicans, the very conservative, the somewhat, the moderate, the white, the black, the Hispanic, the men, the women, the older, the younger votes. He's winning everywhere. And we are just days away from Super Tuesday when he is also slated to win just about everywhere in this country. Donald Trump knows how to win elections. Democrats be careful what you wish for. That sound you're hearing out there, that sound is or should be at this point, Democrats panicking. Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. Here at the Bradcast and Bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year round, like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to keep doing so, now more than ever. Please stop by Bradblog.com slash donate to make a monthly pledge of any amount you like to help keep us going, or even just a one-time-only contribution. While everyone else covers the horse race, we also keep our eyes on the track conditions those horses are running on. Because voting systems, access to the polls, and citizen oversight of election results can make all the difference. Please help us continue to fight independently for your democracy by taking about 60 seconds right now to stop by bradblog.com donate today. And thanks. All right, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. We have the Democrats will be uh, meeting in South Carolina over the weekend for the South Carolina primary. Those uh, elections will be run, as I have described over the past week or so on 100% unverifiable touchscreen voting systems. Uh, they use them all across the state. They're uh, uh, made by a company called ESNS. The machines they use are called the iVotronic, and they are systems that have failed in election after election all across these United States for the past I don't know how many decades at this point. Just by way of one or two very quick examples, uh, the iVotronics were responsible for 18,000 votes completely lost, entirely just dropped, and there's still no real explanation for why, from a 2007 special U.S. House election. The votes just went away in the Democratic stronghold of Sarasota, Florida, in which that Democrat ended up losing by just 369 votes after those 18,000 votes completely, completely disappeared. They're also the ones I talked about this last week. Uh, those machines were also responsible in South Carolina for the victory 
the reported victory of a man by the name of Alvin Green, who no one had ever heard of, had uh, no campaign website, didn't campaign around the state at all. And yet he beat out a well-known judge in that state to win the nomination for the U.S. Senate on these machines, completely unverifiably. But you know what? The results came in, and that was that. Nobody could do anything about it. Well, those same machines, those iVotronics, are used in the state of Kansas, or at least certain uh, places around the state of Kansas, where last week a state judge denied a Wichita mathematician's request for access to paper voting machine tapes from the 2014 election that she would like to examine for evidence of possible fraud or malfunction. Now, uh, as I've said many times, you know, whatever the results end up being, there is almost nothing that can be done about it afterwards on these machines, on these type of touchscreen machines. Even if there are paper tapes from these electronic systems to go back and examine, it is almost impossible to do so. And this case in Kansas continues to demonstrate exactly that issue. Uh, Sedgwick County Judge Tim Leahy ruled last week that he could not order county officials to turn over the tapes to Beth Clarkson because she presented the same argument in a previous lawsuit that she lost, according to the judge, uh, who denied he denied the motion by the county's election commissioner, Tabitha Lehman, to dismiss Clarkson's open records case. So the case can go forward. But according to AP, it was a hollow victory since the point of the lawsuit was to check the accuracy of the voting machines about which Beth Clarkson has a very real concern. Uh, We spoke with Beth last August on this program. She joins us again now to update us on the latest status for her case. Beth Clarkson is a Ph.D. She is the chief statistician for Wichita University's National Institute of Aviation Research. She's a statistician at the National Center for Advanced Materials Performance. She has a Ph.D. in mathematics from Wichita State University. Beth Clarkson, welcome back to the broadcast. Hello, and thank you for having me. Uh, Great to have you here. And uh, by the way, thank you for continuing to fight on this particular case. Before we get into the status of the case, where it is now, where it may go from here, uh, the theory that you are trying to look into was was concerning these machines and the results as you see them from the 2014 election. Uh, what you're trying to look into, this was a theory that was first put forward by a couple of statisticians named Francois Choquette and, uh, and James Johnson back in 2012. They apparently examined Republican primary results from 2012 And they found what they characterize as strong statistical evidence of election manipulation in a whole bunch of states in Iowa, New Hampshire, Arizona, Ohio, Oklahoma, Alabama, Louisiana, Wisconsin, West Virginia and Kentucky. And then you, Beth, through your own analysis, found uh, the same pattern that they did uh, when they looked at these election statistics. So can you very quickly uh, explain the statistical anomaly that both you and they have now found uh, and the theory that has now led you to uh, filing the uh, this case to try to look more closely at the 2014 elections in Kansas. Well, very briefly, the um, the concerning issue is that as the number of 
votes cast in a precinct increases as we get into larger and larger precincts, mm-hmm. we see Republicans gaining a larger share of those votes. So in small precincts where you don't have a lot of voters, the the numbers are to be expected among the Republican candidates. But when you get to these... Yeah, more or yeah. less. And, and when you start with the small, uh-huh. smallest precincts, which tend to be rural, you have a very... Um, high level of Republican share, which is to be expected. Mm-hmm. And as that increases gradually, that goes down, which again is, is more or less what you expect. But what's odd is that after you get to a certain size, and it, it kind of depends, but typically by the time you get to precincts that have at least four or 500 votes cast, mm-hmm. you start to see an increase in the Republican share of votes as the uh, size of the precinct increases. Now, that's in general elections. They found that uh, uh, Choquette yes, Johnson... Yes, that's general elections with both parties. In primaries, it's a little bit different mm-hmm. because you're looking at, like, all Republican candidates. Right. But they found, did they not, that the establishment candidate uh, uh, back in 2012, I guess it was, uh, yes. Mitt Romney... Yes. that Romney was he definitely did be- the beneficiary of this pattern. And... You would expect that uh, you would not see this change, or if anything, you would see, for example, a Republican share of the vote going down in these larger precincts that are uh, more urban. Uh, Exactly, yeah. But you found Uh, it went the opposite. Yes. Okay. So now the type of voting and counting systems that you want to look at, this is in Sedgwick County. This is where, uh, I guess, uh, Wichita. Sedgwick County. Wichita is located in Sedgwick County. Right. And I'm a lifelong resident. I was born here in Mm -hmm. Sedgwick County. So I'm pretty personally concerned about how well our system is working here. Okay. And so what you want to do, you want to look at... The, the paper tapes, and this is, uh, they still use those Ivotronic uh, systems that I described they in the introduction, the right? They use the Ivotronic systems, okay. but we have, it's called uh, a real-time audit log. Okay. R-T-A-L is, is the acronym, but mm-hmm. it stands for real-time, which means that as you press buttons on this voting machine, it records each button that you push. And that is the, the so-called paper tape, and I wanted to make sure I understand this, because uh, in other places, I think it, it, this is the same uh, thing that is called the Voter Verifiable Paper yes. Audit Trail, right? The VVPAT. Yes, the Voter Verifiable Audit Trail is the more common mm-hmm. um, industry term. Okay. The real-time audit log is apparently the manufacturer's nomenclature, what they call it. And that's what they call it in Sedgwick County. Because when I first started looking into it, I didn't know. And they told me, oh, this is the real-time audit log. Well, that's what I'm trying to... I have been trying to figure out about your case. Because there's actually two different records. There is that record of how people voted, what their intentions are that they must approve on that little paper trail that rolls in. And they must approve that before they press the cast vote button. But Well, no, there's no, no nothing that says they have to approve it or even look at it. Because a lot of people were unaware that it was even there when I started mm-hmm getting a little uh, feedback on my lawsuit. Mm. So it, it just, it's there, it allows you to look at it and verify that, yeah, mm-hmm. the machine knows I pressed the button for uh, Romney mm-hmm. or whoever. Now, is that different than the internal audit logs? Because I understand on these machines, uh, there was supposed to be, when these machines were first forced upon the American people, uh, we were told that every system would have an audit log internally recording every single keystroke. So if there was questions about the results, well, we could I, go I back to that. I don't know. 
because I'm not allowed to look. I think theoretically they're supposed to be the same, mm-hmm. but the the difference between theoretical and in practice is is sometimes very large. Well, it is. We had out here uh, Beth Clarkson in uh, California a few years back. The Secretary of State found that the audit logs, the again, I'm talking about the internal audit logs, not the paper trails, but the internal audit logs could literally be deleted with the push of a single button on similar machines made by Diebold that were used out here in uh, in California, and that those audit logs could also be manipulated in such a way uh, that no one would ever know that they had been manipulated. They could be edited. They could be modified. So how can you be uh, assured that the logs exist as they originally did on election night, even if you were given access to them a- at this point? How do you know that those logs are as they were in uh, in 2014? The electronic ones? Uh, you can't. The, the electronic right? ones could definitely be. That's why I'm looking for the paper records because those cannot be altered without it being clear that it's been altered or something. So they have printed out those paper trails. They exist. You feel confident that they haven't been modified in any way. They are there. They're just not letting you examine them. Is that right? That's the size of it, yes. And are you trying to overturn the 2014 election at this point? Uh, No, I, I, I never had any desire to overturn the election results. My desire is to verify that our voting machines are accurate and if and to, to get an idea of what kind of error rate we can expect in terms of, of doing that verification. And last time you were on, you talked about that you, you were concerned that the results were being manipulated on these systems. And so now you've got a, a new attorney, a guy by the name of Randy Rathbun, a, a, f- yes. a former U.S. attorney uh, under Clinton, I believe. We had hoped to get him on this uh, program along with you today. He wasn't able to join us. But uh, how and why did he become involved in this, uh, in this case, Beth? Well, basically, he read about my case in the paper. I had uh, I had sued Chris Kovach, and I ended up dropping him. He was not the right person to sue, but it did get me a little bit of publicity. Mm-hmm. And Randy read about my uh, case and realized uh, essentially that I was going to be destroyed if I tried to do it myself, which is probably true. <laughs> and he felt like uh, I had a good shot, that it was something that needed to be done. And so you, uh, last week you were in court with uh, with Rathbun, uh, with an attorney, and what exactly did the court determine? Your case can go forward, right, but just not with the evidence you need? Well, what you have to understand is, is I, I apparently am a terrible attorney, <laughs> and I had filed my case as an open records request uh-huh. because Kansas law states that if you file a request for a recount, it's... You have a limited time period to do so. Mm -hmm. But if you file a request for a recount, you're allowed to specify the method of recount. And I wanted to look at the RTAL tapes, and I filed a request for a recount after Mm -hmm. the 2014 election in the proper time frame, and I was told, no, you can't look at those RTAL uh, records, even as part of a recount. We won't do it. On what basis did they say no initially? Apparently... There's some directive from the previous Secretary of State that they would prefer not to use them. Oh, just a a preference. Okay. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) it it is. But at any rate, what Randy did is, is because I had filed a case back in 2013, that was to try to look at the 2010 election. Mm Mm-hmm. 
and I had lost that. I was representing myself, and I basically lost that. Uh, ballots are specifically exempted from the Kansas Open Records Act. They are not available for anybody to just come in and take a look at. Now, whether or not you agree with that, and I, I don't know that I do particularly, but that is the law here in Kansas. Mm-hmm. But the law also states that if you file a request for a recount, you're allowed to specify the method of recount. And when they refused, and and the court in 2013 said that the records I'm requested are ballots, they they amount to ballots, and they're not available under the the Open Records Act. So I filed a request for a recount, and I was turned down. And when they wouldn't let me look at them as part of the recount, I said, well, it seems to me that either I should be able to look at them under the Open Records Act or I should be able to have them examined as part of a recount. Right. But you can't have it both ways. But apparently they can. <laughs> anyway, uh, Randy restructured or refiled my lawsuit to mm-hmm. make it a basically a recount request. And so the lawsuit was not diminished or, or not dismissed because I do have a right to a recount, and they should not have told me no. Okay. But the judge said that because my request to look at the RTAL records had already been denied, that he wasn't going to allow that part of the case to move forward. That, that seems absolutely insane. I mean, if he even if he is right on the law, that would mean that I guess someone else could now go file a, a, a recount request and they would be allowed to look at these materials because they had not been previously turned down for it before yeah, under this that's theory. that's kind right? of my understanding and it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Uh-huh. If I were a candidate and I was in a close race and I requested a recount using the RTAL records, they could say, no, you can't do that because you've already tried, requested to look at these once before and were turned down. This is amazing to me. And, you know, people think I'm crazy when I go on and on on this show about the problem with these voting systems and how hard it is after elections to actually, you know, for the public to actually review the materials. And this is true, by the way, whether it's a touchscreen system or even a paper ballot system. It's it's true. Yes. You know, which, again, underscores why you need to get it right on election night and get it right in a way that everyone can know. Uh, you've gotten it right. Uh, Beth, I'm, yeah. I'm just horrified that I live in the U.S., and yet I do not feel that when I go to vote that we have a secure and transparent system to compute those results. I don't have any faith in the accuracy of those results. Do you feel that they are specifically trying to keep you from getting a, a look at these results, a look at this information for some reason, for some nefarious reason? Or is this they're, they're just following the law and sorry for you, but the law doesn't allow you to oversee this stuff? You know, I, I, I don't know. I honestly don't tend to, at least not for the local officials. Mm-hmm. I don't have any sense that they're doing anything other than trying to follow the law. I think that there's a problem with the law when you have a law that that says you can't verify mm-hmm. the voting records, but it's it's just crazy to me that we don't have any quality assurance on our voting system, or at least we don't have, I shouldn't say we don't have any, because they do do a lot of testing, uh-huh. and, they, and, and it is necessary testing, but it's not sufficient. No, well, it's not, uh, but... How would you explain, I mean, could the anomaly that you're looking at, could that have occurred 
accidentally? In other words, what you're suggesting is someone manipulated no, it's not these accidental, results. But we don't know the cause. Okay. And without being able to look at those records, we cannot say definitively what the cause is. If you look at the records, you can establish that yes, the records don't match. We have a serious problem. Or if the records do match, you can at least say, okay, I can at least eliminate this particular mm-hmm. area as being an issue in terms of, like, election rigging or vote fraud. Beth Clarkson, federal law, and I, I, you may not be able to answer this, uh, is one of the reasons I wanted to have your, your attorney on, but federal law requires, federal law, and I, I, you're suing under state law, as I understand it, correct? I'm in the state court system. Okay, yeah. state court system. Uh, federal law requires that materials from elections be held securely for 22 months before being destroyed. Now, uh, unfortunately, jurisdictions routinely destroy things like memory cards. They, they erase them, the memory cards from these machines and the audit logs and so forth from the machines far earlier than 22 months. Do you know if the court has ordered that the materials in your case be securely retained uh, for any period of time? The... the paper records that I'm looking for are currently uh, securely stored. Uh-huh. They're, they're sealed and uh, stored in a um, protected warehouse somewhere. I'm not really that familiar with it, uh-huh. but they are being stored. They are scheduled for uh, destruction in November, which, well, actually before then, because it would be, I guess September would be 22 months. Mm-hmm. But my attorney, when he files his appeal, will be filing to... Uh, try to keep those protected until the case is resolved. But as far as the electronic records, the memory cards, the real-time, well, you guys call it real-time audit log, the, the, the internal audit logs that are, are I don't know about whether or not they have kept those or not. I don't think that they do. And at this point, I'm not, I'm not terribly interested in seeing them. What I want to see is do the paper, do mm-hmm. the, the uh Paper records match what the uh, totals are well, given. Well, I, I'm 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 no attorney, but I've been covering this for a long time now. These issues, and I I might recommend that you mention to your attorney that they put in a request to keep those memory cards from being overwritten on all of those machines in Kansas. I don't know if they've ha- have they held any elections since uh, oh, the yes. 2014 election. Oh yes. Okay, so that material may already be gone, but it might be something yeah, I, you want to look into. Yeah, I don't think they keep the electronic material very long at all. It's only the, the paper records that are stored for two years. Y- you had mentioned that uh, Chris Kobach has now, the Secretary of State, uh, has now been released from this case. I, I mm-hmm. Did I understand that correctly? He's no longer yes. a defendant? Well, he had... Um, ran for Secretary of State back in 2010 uh, on basically on the the basis of stopping voter fraud in the state of Kansas. At his uh, back in 2010, uh, here here was part of his his victory speech to supporters back then. You know, our campaign had an undeniable, unmistakable message, and that message could be summed up in three words. Three words which are on every one of our four big highway signs: Stop voter fraud. So that was his whole thing. He's actually one of the uh, country's leading voter fraud fraudsters for the Republicans, uh, as I've covered many times at bradblog.com. Now, since becoming Secretary of State and then winning re-election, along with uh, Governor Sam Brown back uh, back in 2014, I, I think it was, uh, by what were surprisingly huge numbers compared to the pre-election polls. For example, one poll showed Kobach tied 
before Election Day, and then he reportedly won on these machines by a remarkable 19 points. Uh, he has claimed that, you know, that he's concerned about voter fraud. Has he shown any effort whatsoever to allow you to get at these materials in any way? No, no, he's actively uh, tried to keep me from doing so. And do you have any idea why he would be so resistant if you're trying to show voter fraud? If you're trying to show fraud, it's not necessarily voter fraud here. This would be election fraud. But do you have any idea why he would not support your efforts here? No, I don't understand it. I don't either. You had a bunch of supporters who showed up in force at the hearing uh, last yeah, week in court. Tell me about that. I was amazed by that. Well, uh, well, how do you explain that? What, what happened there? Basically... Since I got a, a little bit of coverage in the press, mm -hmm. people have just contacted me from all over the U.S., actually, and an awful lot of people here in, in Wichita. And actually, there were people in my hearing who'd driven in from Kansas City and from western Kansas mm -hmm. to, uh, to, be in, to basically show support for the idea that we need to audit those machines. We need to make sure that they're providing accurate uh, accounts of the way people voted. The Wichita Eagle reported that the courtroom was packed with uh, over 100 uh, supporters of yours, Beth, and the judge, Tim Leahy, uh, told the paper that in his combined 26 years on the bench, he has never had so many spectators in attendance for this type of hearing. So you've got support, uh, a questionable ruling by this judge. What happens next? Are, uh, does your attorney attend to intend to appeal the, the ruling that said you can't look yes, at the paper trails? The trial is, we, we originally had a trial scheduled for next month. Mm -hmm. uh, that's been uh, canceled until the appeal is heard and mm -hmm. that decision is made because there's no point going forward with the trial if the result of the trial means even if we win, we still wouldn't get access to the records that we want. And, okay, so that'll be an appeal. That'll take uh, still more months, I guess, before uh, we get anywhere. Approximately a year is what my attorney told me. Wow. Wow. And we're talking about an election from 2014 that you're asking about, right? Yes. So in 2017... You, you'll either win this appeal or not. Then you go back to the actual trial if you're allowed to do it. Got to get it right on election night. I keep telling people, do you intend to file a similar case, by the way, following the 2016 elections? Or are you barred from doing that as well for some bizarre Kansas reason? Well, I'm not barred <laughs> from filing. I don't think I have much chance of winning at this point. Um, what I'm probably going to do, because as a, as, a, as a voter, I'm only allowed to file for a recount on ballot questions, and uh -huh. I'm actually more interested in looking at uh, candidate races. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm hoping that there might be candidates who would be willing to mm. um, file for a recount and have me assist them with doing that. I see. So you only have standing uh, on the, 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 initiative, the ballot initiatives, not on... Right. You have to be a candidate to a even challenge the results of a, of a candidate election? Yes, yes. Wow. Uh, just amazing. Um, how do you feel... At this point, going through what you've gone through, how do you feel that uh, we ought to count our elections in, in these United States or just in Kansas at this point? I am becoming more and more convinced that we need to go with an entirely paper uh, ballot system and hand-counted. 
scanners work really well, and they can provide uh, fast results. But you have to verify them, which we're not doing. Mm-hmm. And even if we go with a sampling system to verify them, sampling has to be done properly or that's not going to be convincing. Mm -hmm. And even even if it's done properly, there are so many people who don't really understand the statistics of sampling and and why it works that I think to have full transparency for all citizens, you need to have a hand count of paper ballots. A A hand count of paper ballots... And and you're, just to be clear, you're a statistician, you're a mathematician. I presume you use computers all the time in your all work, in your statistical analysis of the race you're looking at. So you're, you're not a Luddite, and yet you still feel hand-marked, paper ballots, hand-counted uh, on election night. I think that will provide the greatest uh, sense of transparency to the citizens. Uh, as a statistician, I love sampling, and it's like, yeah, you can do sampling, and it's it's quicker and it's faster, and it'll get you excellent results. But it can also be manipulated, just mm-hmm. like any other system, and you can't really manipulate hand counts of paper ballots. It's the transparency issue that really has convinced me because not everyone. Well, a lot of people don't understand the machines, and mm-hmm. it's very much a black box system for them. But I've been working with and teaching statistics for a long time. And for so many people, they just don't really understand the math. And it's just, it's, it's an equally black box uh, or opaque system from their point of view. Right. Yep. Couldn't agree and so more. so to have everybody who's voting to have confidence that they can depend on that, that it's transparent, I think that the only way to do that is to do a 100% hand count of the ballots. Thank you. We should not have to rely on rocket scientists uh, to explain whether the results are correct or not. My great-grandmother exactly. ought to be able to understand it as well. Exactly. Beth, thanks for, uh, thanks for continuing to do what you're doing there. As, as you know from the last time you were on, I have uh, questions about the, the theory that you guys have been working on and this idea that something is amiss when we see uh, more votes for Republicans in these uh, urban districts that I don't exactly understand how this manipulation would have occurred if it did occur. But the fact that they are keeping you and the public and your obviously, you know, supporter, hundreds of supporters who took the time off from work and everything else to show up and support you from even overseeing this election. It just underscores how disturbing uh, all of this is. So thank you for not giving it up and uh, keeping up the fight. And uh, hopefully we'll check back in with you. Oh, I guess in a year from now when your appeal is is finally heard. It, it will take a while. And I do appreciate your continuing to publicize this issue. To be honest, I. The analysis only shows that there's something there we don't understand. Mm -hmm. It does not show cause. I think that manipulation of voting machines is the most probable cause, Mm -hmm. but I could be wrong on that. But the only way to know is to look. And Mm -hmm. not being allowed to look is, in many ways, a more serious issue than whether or not that's the cause. Exactly. I mean, I've said so many times over these years, it's uh, it's obviously important that votes are counted accurately, but mm-hmm. they must be counted accurately and in a way that the public can know 
that they have been counted accurately. Yeah. Yes. And it's only transparency that does it. Where can people uh, follow this case? And, and do you need support? Do you need uh, funding I, to continue I this? have set up a website. Mm-hmm. It's uh, showmethevotes.org. Show Me the Votes is all one word. Mm-hmm. And I post things there regularly. I do have a GoFundMe campaign set up, mm-hmm. but I've been collecting money because I was expecting to have to pay considerable amounts to actually uh, get access to the the records. You know, it's not free to get a recount done. <laughs> they, <laughs> they charge do you for it too. For that. So, so they charge you for it, too. So you have to fight to get it done in the first You have to fight to give them your money to oversee your election and make sure they recorded it accurately. Exactly. And I expect <laughs> that bill to be quite uh, high. But at this point, I don't know if I'm ever going to get that opportunity. Uh, well, unbelievable. Follow the case. Go to showmethevotes.org. Beth Clarkson, Ph.D., Chief Statistician for Wichita University's National Institute for Aviation Research. Boy, uh, good luck as this moves forward, and, and, and please continue to stay in touch, Beth. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate hearing from you. Uh, good to talk to you. All right, a quick break, and we are back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. <laughs> You can't not oh, Wait, 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 hold on. All right. See, and you're even wearing your Texas shirt right now, I aren't am. you? I know. Is that on behalf of Rick Perry that you're wearing uh, your no, Texas shirt? No, it's just on behalf okay. of being, uh, being from Texas. All right, well, it happens to be uh, Rick Perry's day. Apparently, uh, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Texas's highest criminal court has now tossed out the second and final felony charge against Governor Rick Perry. This likely ends the case that uh, Republican that the Republicans said had helped to sink his short-lived 2016 presidential bid, although yeah, I don't think it was that. No, I think he did that all by himself. He's just a crap candidate. <laughs> That's the pro- The Texas Court of Criminal Appeals has now dismissed the abuse of power charge, which was filed after Perry threatened and then carried out a veto of state funding for a group of public corruption prosecutors after the Democratic head of that unit had refused to resign. According to the uh, AP, in its 6-2 ruling, the court said veto power can't be restricted by the courts and the prosecution for a veto violates separations of powers. This was according to the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals. A lower appeals court had dismissed the other felony charge, coercion by a public servant, last July. But this one remained until today. And he's off the hook. Now, the Republican judge, there was a Republican judge who was overseeing the case in the lower court, had repeatedly refused to throw out the case uh, on constitutional grounds. We've talked about the the case uh, over the past year or so, and this prompted Perry's appeal to the high court, the Texas's high court, which is the uh, Court of Criminal Appeals. One of the judges who dissented with the Criminal Appeals Court ruling uh, on Wednesday, this was Republican Cheryl Johnson. She 
dissented here. She said the decision could leave the public with an uneasy perception that the system went out of its way to clear one of the most powerful governors in Texas history. Do you have that perception? That sounds about right. You said that with a Texas accent. I did. (laughs) Michael McCrum, the San Antonio-based special prosecutor who had secured the indictments originally, has long maintained that the matter was built on evidence, not on politics, and that it deserved to go to trial. He can now appeal this case, but that would be a lengthy process, says the AP. Uh, If he did go forward with it and if they did get to trial and if they did get a conviction, the the combined charges on both of the uh, uh, both of the counts would have carried a potential maximum penalty of one hundred and nine years in prison. The former governor had spent more than two hundred million on top defense lawyers. His White House campaign had raised barely half that much in its first month, and it quickly became so cash-strapped that uh, he couldn't pay key staffers in key states. And so he dropped out. He was the first candidate to leave a Republican field that was jammed with 17 presidential candidates at the time. Now down to, what are we at? Five. In any event, uh, so he's off the hook, but uh, just one reminder, Democratic former Alabama Governor Don Siegelman is still serving six and a half years in federal prison on so-called bribery-related charges, even though he was never accused of personally taking money from anybody. And uh, more than 100 former Republican and Democratic state attorneys general had said that uh, he has been convicted of something that has never been a crime in this nation's history until the Republican prosecutors under George W. Bush, one of whom was married to Governor Siegelman's opponent in the governor's race there until they charged him with it. He's still serving his time. Rick Perry, on the other hand, is off scot-free deep in the heart of Texas. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, to my guest today, Wichita University's Beth Clarkson. Follow her case at showmethevotes.org. My thanks to you, as ever, for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, you can download them for free at bradblog.com and at iTunes. And you can follow me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad blog. That is it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Hey,